In this episode, I am joined by the one and only Mike Begg from AMZ Advisors. We're going to be talking about all things e-commerce and Amazon. And Mike will be sharing tips and ideas to help you improve your business so you can take things to the next level. Now, we will cover topics such as Amazon SEO, paid advertising, Q4 preparation, and more. This is going to be a blast, so let's get after it. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to episode number 153 of the Private Labeler Show. I'm your host, Nick Landowski, and I'm making it my mission to help a thousand people quit their job and start an e-commerce empire using the power of Amazon. Now, thanks for tuning in. As always, I hope you guys are having an amazing day, and I'm super grateful for each and every one of you guys, no matter where in the world you are tuning in today, and I hope you guys are crushing it in life and, of course, in your business. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but you know things kind of seem to be getting a little bit more back to normal where I live. Obviously, it's been a real wild year, and uh, we're going to make it through. And you know what I am very happy about, I'm happy that we, we kind of have sports back for the past, what, few weeks or months or so. I'm a big sports fan like maybe a lot of you guys listening right now. But I do have a confession to make. Sports without fans is just a little weird. Can we all agree on that? It's just, it just doesn't feel right. So I'm a big NBA fan. You know, they have these virtual fans out there. Uh, you know, that's kind of cool. But uh, watching sports without fans, just, you know, just not doing it for me. So I don't know what it is. I can't just get into it like I used to. So I don't know if you guys can relate to that as well. Just thought I would share that. So I'm super excited about this episode because I'm going to be joined by my friend Mike Begg from AMZ Advisors here in just a second. Now, Mike runs an agency that helps sellers, businesses, and brands maximize their potential using platforms like Amazon. And Mike and I, very interestingly, we have a rather similar experience in how we got started in this wild racket known as e-commerce, which we're going to talk about here shortly. So I'm excited to share that with you guys. It's rather interesting. So in this episode, Mike is going to share his background a little bit. We're going to dive into a story, which is really cool. And then uh, basically after that, we're going to talk about the following topics. We're going to talk about the state of retail and e-commerce. We're going to dive into a little bit of Amazon SEO stuff, some Amazon pay-per-click stuff, and then we'll finish it off with some discussion around Q4 preparation. So depending upon when you're listening to this right now, it's in the middle of August. Uh, Q4 is right around the corner. So very exciting. And we need to start planning for that. Now, I hope you're going to gain tons of value from this episode. And if you guys have any questions about anything at all, please feel free to reach out to Mike. Um, I'll put his contact information in the show notes from this episode. And the link to that is going to be privatelabelershow.com forward slash 153. Also stay tuned to the very end after our conversation because I'm going to jump back on and highlight my key takeaways from today's episode. Now, before we jump to the conversation with Mike Begg in just a second here, I'm going to encourage you guys to subscribe to the podcast. And as well, please make sure to leave a review on iTunes if you could. You can do that at privatelabelershow.com forward slash iTunes. And if you are not yet a member of our awesome Facebook group, please get joined up with that as well by going to privatelabelershow.com forward slash FB. So enough of that. Here we go, guys. My conversation with Mike Begg 
of AMZ Advisors. Hey, everybody. I would like you to welcome Mr. Mike Begg to the show. Welcome, Mike. How the heck are you doing today? I'm doing great, Nick. Thank you so much for having me here. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to your audience and hopefully be able to teach them a little bit more about the Amazon platform. Love it. Love it. And you are dialing in from where today, Mike? I heard Mexico, correct? Yes, you are correct. I am based in Guadalajara, Mexico. This is where I live full time. I've been here for about three years now. So I guess I'm, I'm partially Mexican at this point. I'm not sure. <laughs> so we were talking a little bit beforehand, just maybe just give people a little idea. Uh, how, are, how are things in Mexico with, with COVID and are, are things kind of the way that they are in much, uh, much else of the world or like what's going on there? Yeah, it feels, uh, feels pretty much the same as things are in the U.S. I, I was back in Connecticut about a month and a half ago and, you know, I guess it's kind of everyone's adapting to the new way of life, just wearing their masks out, going to restaurants with them, you know, taking them off once you're at the table. But yeah, everyone's, uh, you know, trying to stay safe, but nothing, not doing anything too crazy. Gotcha. Gotcha. So Mike, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show today, obviously we're going to talk shop, talk Amazon. Hopefully the listeners can walk away with some good guided tips and strategies that they can immediately implement into their businesses to help them improve sales or conversions and things like that. But I wanted to dive in a little bit about your story because I think that's really important to share with everybody. So um, would you mind kind of just walking us through your journey. Like I, I'm always fascinated by how people arrive in this world of online entrepreneurship, e-commerce. <laughs> like I'm always curious, like how people get here, right? Like usually yeah. for a lot of us, this isn't the first thought. They're not teaching us this in school to like, you know, start an e-commerce business or, um, you know, an agency or anything like that. We, we kind of go through some journey to get here. So that's what I wanted to do a little bit first. So Mike, would you mind kind of sharing your journey, like how, how you arrived, like what are the different things that you've done in the online space? And uh, I kind of just want to banter a little bit about that first. So maybe just kind of take us from the top here and just how did you first get started? Yeah, of course. I'd be glad to share that all with you. Uh, so, you know, it started kind of in a funny way. Uh, myself, my two other business partners and AMZ advisors right now, we were all living together in Stanford, Connecticut. We all had corporate jobs. We, we, you know, we really didn't like them. Uh, even though they, you know, they paid well, they were with good companies. The reality was that we realized we wanted more freedom in our lives and we, you know, wanted to be able to support ourselves. And that's kind of how we started looking into the e-commerce space in general to start making some money. We started with, uh, selling eBooks online through the Kindle platform on Amazon. We took a course uh, with Project Life Mastery. I think you said you took that as well. Yes. So we started off on the same journey, my friend. That's amazing. So. <laughs> I know it's a small world. Um, and then once you get into that space, you start learning a lot more about other opportunities that are out there. So you know, we realized that we could sell products through Amazon and not just sell eBooks. So we started. I think we literally hit every target in Walmart in the tri-state area, uh, buying everything we could that was on, uh, that was on sale and then just sending it into Amazon FBA, selling it all. You know, the first thing we sold was I think a computer router or a Wi-Fi router. And when we sold that, we were pumped. We were like, Whoa, this is awesome. Uh, <laughs> hitting those clearance sections up, huh? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, we literally cleared it out. It was right around, uh, we started in like September, and then I think by like 
end of September, every every clearance section in Walmart and Target in the tri-state area was gone. <laughs> nice, nice. So you did eBooks, made some money there, and they're like, okay, we can actually start selling some physical products on there. And I know actually when I was first starting, I, I you know, before I really knew much about Amazon, I didn't know that like a regular person could sell products on Amazon or much yeah. less like eBooks or anything like that. I didn't, I have no idea about self-publishing personally. I just thought like, you know, if people are selling books, or whatever, they have this big time publisher and it's like very formalized. So, you know, when I walked into that whole world and, you know, we took the same course when we first got started, which I think is amazing. Like I had no idea that that entire world existed from like self-publishing or like uh, retail arbitrage or just selling products on Amazon. Again, I thought it was like unattainable, like, oh, Amazon just kind of handles all this themselves. And it's very like, there's a big barrier of entry. And I guess that wasn't the case, obviously. And, you know, I started making money selling eBooks and I've kind of used all of that knowledge and capital to kind of do other things just as you have, correct? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we, I, I personally wasn't aware that that whole, that whole industry and space existed either. Even with Amazon, I, I wasn't really using it much once I started in like 2014, 2015, starting to sell stuff on Amazon. So I didn't really realize that there was that much opportunity out there, but that's how we got into retail arbitrage. We started selling all these uh, products we bought on clearance, raised money. And then we started building a couple private label brands. You know, it was, that was a really interesting experience too, dealing with uh, suppliers and uh, manufacturers in China, ordering product, getting the product here, getting it into Amazon. So it was definitely an interesting way to learn. Uh, there's obviously mistakes that are going to be made along the way, but no, it was, it was really great kind of getting to that point. What are some of those mistakes? Like, did you ever hit a point when you were kind of on that journey of going, I don't know if this is going to work. This isn't, this isn't what I thought. Or like, <laughs> have you hit any of those, uh, I guess, roadblocks where you're like, man, maybe I should go back to my regular corporate job. Like, you know, did you ever have those moments? Well, I was still doing this while I was working at my corporate job, which was with Sears and retail. So it was a little bit, a little bit of a, a crossover between online retail and in-store retail. But yeah, I mean, we had a couple different private label brands. The first one didn't work out that well. Uh, you know, we didn't do our research. We got into a, a product market that was way too competitive. We bought way too much inventory. We ended up pretty much eating the cost of the inventory. So all that retail arbitrage work we did was, was gone. So we had to kind of start again there. Then uh, we had our second brand, which was actually doing really well. We were selling art supplies on Amazon. And that, that market was really good for a while. We were selling a lot. I think, I think we might have done over a million in sales over uh, about, 12, uh, about 14 months, I think it was. But we made a mistake with who we actually had within our business. I mean, we, right now I have two other partners in AMZ Advisors, but in that private label brand, we had a fourth partner and it got to the point where we felt that we were kind of carrying a lot of the work. Uh, we didn't necessarily have a partner who was as committed with us or was focused on other things and didn't, you know, didn't commit as much time to, to getting our business to where we wanted to be. So unfortunately, we kind of had to, to wind that down. And that's kind of why we started our agency, AMZ Advisors, and you know, where we are today. Yeah, I think you get too many people involved. And there's obviously going to be one person not pulling the weight. And I think we all can kind of relate to that. Even from like a school project back in the day, you know, you get a group of four or five people. There's always that one person that just isn't fully committed to things. And unfortunately, that it doesn't always end well. But um, it is what it is. And it's funny, you know, we're talking about like going back to eBooks again. I, I remember like me personally, I don't know how much I've ever really shared on this on the podcast, but 
you know, I, I got started in this ebook world back in the day. It's like 2014-ish or right around there. And this whole door opened up. Like once I realized I could make money on the internet and make a good amount of money, um, I started to see all these other opportunities, whether it be private labeling, uh, just everything in the whole internet marketing world. I used to listen to uh, a lot of Pat Flynn from, yeah. uh, you know, the Smart Passive Income or whatever. Yep. And I just started absorbing tons of information. I just remember I would just sit days and days and days and listen to all these podcasts and YouTube channels. And like my mind was just like kind of just blown open in terms of the things that are possible, right? And uh, I just, you know, kind of one thing to the next and obviously led me to, to uh, private labeling. And, you know, we were talking earlier too. The reason why I got started with private labeling is because I was listening to Ryan Daniel Moran back in 2000, what, I don't know, 14, 15, something like that. He had a podcast where he was talking about yoga mats. And it was a really, really popular podcast at the time and kind of just opened my whole mind to kind of what's possible. And, you know, I had personally uh, quit my, my corporate job at the time. So I had no choice. Like there was only a plan A and that was to figure out like how to, how to make money with Amazon or, or things related. So again, I, I, you know, I'm just always interested in, in people's stories and Kind of how they found things. And I think it's just fascinating that we actually kind of started off on the same foot with the same course from the same person. And kind of here we are today on a podcast. So it's just kind of a wild world. And the reason why I kind of share this information with you guys is if you're listening out there and you are at that nine to five that you don't really care about, or it's just not working for you, or maybe the industry that you're in is a little bit suspect right now due to COVID, man, like get studying and figure out where you want to go with you know, this whole world of e-commerce, because there's a lot of different avenues that you can go down and it is entirely possible to, to create a great living from it. So would you, would you agree with that, Mike? Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I think a lot of people believe that entrepreneurship is kind of something you're either born with or you're not. And what it really comes down to is just an educational problem. Once you learn more and see what's out there and see what opportunities there are available to you, it becomes easier and easier to develop a better idea of what you want to do, what you want to achieve. And then you can start creating that roadmap to actually get you to where you want to go. Yeah. It's a lot, like a lot of times I see people, um, maybe they, they start selling on Amazon or they have a private label business. Maybe they are having success with it, but along the path, let's just say as an example, they really have a fascination for like paid advertising and pay-per-click or something like that. It's just, it's part of the process, but they find like a, 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 a groove with it. And before you know it, what are they doing? They're starting up their own agency with pay-per-click or whatever, because they know that there's a need for it. And they would have never have found that had it yep. not just been for Amazon or e-commerce in general. So there's a lot of different angles you can take from things from different areas of expertise, or maybe you become like really interested in Facebook ads. You become really interested in uh, sales copy just because you started selling on Amazon or, or on your own Shopify site. So just want to throw it out there to everybody that you know, just selling uh, isn't the end all be all. Like there's so many different angles that you can kind of develop your talent stack in, um, in this umbrella of e-commerce. And obviously with you, Mike, you said, Hey, we got a lot of knowledge in this. Therefore we're going to start our own agency up because we can help people or help brands or businesses kind of accomplish their goals. Right? Exactly. We just kind of had that aha moment where we were like, well, this is great selling our own products and like, yeah, we're making money, but the same time, we can take our knowledge and leverage it to help other people and you know, probably create an even bigger business than what we were doing on the e-commerce side. So yeah, exactly. Like you'll see more opportunities, you'll find what you enjoy, and then you'll be able to really focus on continuing to improve there and be able to bring value to other people. So, um, 
I want to kind of transition a little bit to like the state of retail. I think on my last podcast, uh, I, I talked a little bit about this, but I want to dive into it a little bit more just because uh, we both come from retail backgrounds. You used to work for Sears and I have a lot of uh, experience in the retail world. Um, and I, I, think, I think it's just relevant again that we talk about this. So obviously with COVID, uh, it has accelerated the inevitable, as I was saying in my last podcast about this. Uh, brick and mortar retailers, you know, some of them are okay. A lot of them are, are not right now. And the retail industry, the service industry is, um, is a little bit uneasy at the moment. So you used to work for Sears in specifically in, in the real estate area of that, basically deciding what stores stay and go and things like that. But what do you see from your angle, Mike, uh, like the future of retail? You know, that's, that's such a big question, but I think what it comes down to is like you said, we're already seeing the acceleration of e-commerce and more and more people are shopping online. The timelines were moved up massively. I mean, I remember looking at a study about grocery, which is where we're seeing a lot of competition right now between Instacart, Walmart, and Amazon. Uh, and I think the projections were by 2022, they were supposed to do like a hundred billion in sales online. And I, I think they might do that much this year alone in grocery sales online. So it's crazy how quickly things are moving when it comes to the actual like brick and mortar store. This has been a problem that's been coming for a long time and it's just been a refusal to actually adapt to what has been coming. I mean, we have, this was what we experienced at Sears was that we had these massive stores that were way too big of a footprint. We had way too much inventory. We had all our cash tied up in this. And the reality was the foot traffic was falling year over year. So it didn't make sense to continue investing in these large, uh, large footprint stores. So we actually you know, focused on redeveloping them or turning them into another use or you know, trying to figure out a way to use the space better. So I think what we're gonna see and continuing in the future is a lot more omni-channel. So I think uh, the uh, quick and collect pro things, curbside pickup, that type of stuff where customers can you know, just stop on their way home from work or, or make a stop while they're out. Uh, is going to be a huge part of it. And I think even for a lot of, uh, mark, a lot of retailers like uh, Target and Walmart, there's a huge opportunity for them to actually get that last mile delivery to the end consumer that's looking to purchase products online because of where they have their stores and how close they are to major metropolitan areas. So they already have essentially Amazon's, I'll call it fulfillment network, uh, with their own stores. It's just a matter of whether they're going to adapt to being able to fill more products out of those stores, how they're going to manage the logistics between keeping inventory stocks between those stores. So I think more and more it's, it's just going online and there will be a few big retailers that survive, but I think the majority of them are going to end up you know, going away. Yeah. You know, it was interesting. I posted this in our Facebook group, I think a few weeks ago. Um, you know, speaking of malls, uh, obviously malls over the past few decades, some make it, some don't, right? Like yep. it's kind of in the inevitable, actually the malls that are where I live, like they seem to be thriving fairly well, yeah. but, uh, where I used to live, a lot of the malls were closing up. So I, I don't think it's just like this generalized that all, all malls are doomed for failure, but, uh, obviously a lot of them have been closing, but I actually seen something where Amazon, uh, was starting to look at acquiring malls, like these yeah. abandoned malls that you see around certain cities because they could probably get them from dirt cheap. Yep. And they were starting to utilize them for warehouse space and turning them into like fulfillment centers and things like that. So I just think that's like, that's just where we're at with things. And, yep. you know, 
what rewind maybe a decade or two, some of these malls were thriving, tons of people, foot traffic, like, you know, like crazy. And now they're being consumed by the juggernaut of, of Amazon. Right. And it's just kind of this full circle kind of um, push of e-commerce and kind of what's happening. And actually, you know, uh, I don't know how familiar you are with this, Mike, but Amazon actually has stores. Like they have yeah. physical stores. I, I don't think they're very big, but uh, certain parts of the country or maybe even around the world, they actually do have brick and mortar stores, which I think is kind of interesting, right? Like they're obviously e-commerce focused, but I think they're such a big brand at this point. And they're not, you know, big giant stores. They're probably just little convenient type of things. But um, I just think that that's kind of an amazing thing as, as Amazon is in everybody's life. They're such a big brand that they can thrive by actually opening physical brick and mortar stores at this point. But, you know, all these other retailers that you see, I think week by week, month by month, some of these major retailers that have been around for years, you know, just kind of folding up or closing thousands of, you know, like hundreds of stores and laying off thousands yeah. of employees, just kind of a crazy time. It is. It really is. And what's happening to malls in general is, is interesting because like you said, Amazon's buying it up, but it's not just Amazon. I actually did a few deals while I was working at Sears with uh, logistics companies. So uh, we did a deal with, I believe it was Prologis for some, to turn a mall, a mall space into uh, industrial storage and warehousing and FedEx for a distribution center that was in a mall. So, yeah, I mean, that, the, a lot of the malls that are failing or that haven't done so well are, are, are being repurposed for other uses. There's still malls that are doing okay. And a lot of those types of deals that I saw while I was working in uh, retail real estate was more a redevelopment play. So they were actually building apartment buildings within the malls, office space, medical space. So your entire life could revolve around this mall, which is kind of a crazy concept in a way. But that's another popular use for what we're seeing with malls and uh, you know, retail stores in general. So everyone's getting really creative with the real estate that's out there and the retailers are, are trying to make the money they can to, to you know, sell their real estate and put that cash back into the operating business and keep going. But yeah, there's a, there's a lot of headwinds for these retailers that are, that are selling in brick and mortar and aren't online yet or don't have a big enough presence online. Yeah. And used to, obviously we're talking about used to work for Sears. And I remember as a kid, Sears was a big deal. Uh, Sears was, you know, like Kmart at the time, if, if you're old enough to remember, um, you know, you look forward to going to those stores as a kid. And obviously Sears were primarily like in malls, I think, you know, the cornerstones of a mall and things like that. And um, obviously over the years, retailers like a Sears or Kmart have kind of been slowly dying off. And at, yeah. I guess at what point, Mike, were you kind of like going, okay, um, I see the writing on the wall with Sears. Like what, wh when did you, when did that kind of hit you? Yeah, it was interesting because I came in at a time when Sears was, was trying to sell some of their real estate and raise some cash for the operating business. And one of the first projects I worked on was the, uh, Seritage wreath that they spun off. They sold it for about $2 billion. Um, and the funny thing was like, the, the months following that, I was just like continuing to watch the reports, seeing how quickly they were burning through cash. And I was like, holy crap, like there's no way that they're going to be able to make this work. They, like, I realized that like this retailer wasn't going to be around forever. And we were slowly saving money by closing stores. And I mean, that's hard enough as it is because at the end of the day, it's the people that are working in the stores that are the most affected. So, I mean, it's always hard decisions to make like that. But I, you know, the writing was on the wall. The company wasn't going to be around. And, you know, at the same time, I just ha I'm learning about all this Amazon side, making money through selling eBooks, retail arbitrage, private labels. And I was like, you know what? I think this is where I need to focus my time and energy 
instead of just having a stable job, you know, doing something I like, uh, how stable is this going to be if, if the company continues to head in that direction? Yeah. Um, you know, I think with brick and mortar, one of the, in my job that in my past life, uh, I was very privy to the P and L statements, like the you know yeah. profit and loss of, of the stores and things like that. And I think, you know, as a, as a, just a random cu- customer, you walk into XYZ retailer and you think, man, they, they got to make millions of dollars at this location or whatever. They, they have to be doing well. Like, you know, look at all the sales that they have or whatever. But when you actually look at the bottom line of what it costs to operate a building, yeah. You know, that's large, the, the, the taxes, the insurance, the, the payroll, the, uh, you know, just the rent in general, a, a lot of stores, a lot of major retailers, you know, brick and mortar stores, a lot of their stores don't make money. In fact, they lose money. And it's, it's kind of this crazy idea that I can be some guy with a computer uh, selling eBooks on Amazon or selling my private label brands, my, my grilling accessory brand. And I could be technically making more profit than a big box like retail store could. Yeah. And, and, and it just kind of fries your mind. So at that point you kind of go, yeah, you know, as a retailer, like, yeah, why are we putting so much focus in on brick and mortar stores? Like, why don't we put more on the online presence? So I think with COVID, yeah, you've definitely seen a lot of that. A lot of these companies going, okay, we need to close up these stores at a faster rate now, which sucks yeah. obviously, because nobody likes to lay off employees, but they're in the business of making money and profiting for their shareholders. That's the whole name of the game. And the space obviously is online. You mentioned grocery delivery. Like, I think that's just such a massive thing. And I was talking about that in my last podcast where I'm like, I don't know on what planet, like if, if grocery delivery is available for people as accessible as it is, as affordable as it is, like, why would you want to go to a grocery store anymore? Right? Like, yeah. you know, a grocery store seemed to be doing just fine. But um, again, it's getting people in that behavior of ordering everything, right? If you can order all your groceries online on a weekly delivery, just the same thing with Amazon. Like what's, what's the motivation for me to go into the store to do like my major shopping, like other yeah. than just grabbing quick items here and there. So it's just, you know, COVID has just accelerated our behaviors for what was inevitable anyways. Yeah, exactly. I mean, people are adapting things faster and faster. Like I never expected my parents would be buying as much stuff online as they are, but the reality is, you know, they either stores are closed, they can't go to them or, you know, there's, there's just too much risk going to them. So Everyone, doesn't matter what age, they're all learning how to shop online. And I think that presents some huge opportunities to retailers, private label uh, sellers, anyone that can you know, kind of create a brand and sell it online for them to start making money and support themselves that way. Yeah, so let's transition to that. Let's talk Amazon specifically. So one of the big winners, um, and I hate to say this, but like during this whole entire pandemic, like if you could kind of just really just frame it, like one of the big winners obviously is Amazon. Um, looking at their stock price, looking at just their business in general, there's no secret that they were positively impacted overall by the surge of online sales, right? And it's not just Amazon, Walmart as well, or other major retailers. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just want to talk more about Amazon now. And obviously this is where your background is, my background is, and I want to kind of, I don't know, just just talk about that. We're going to highlight a few different topics here if we can share some golden nuggets, a little bit of advice for the listeners to kind of go back and go, okay, I'm going to implement that in my business or I'm going to look into that or, or whatever it might be. So Mike, you obviously work with brands and companies with your agency. Um, I guess, where do you see or why are certain brands failing when it comes to selling on Amazon? And, and when I ask that, like sometimes I see pretty decent or like relatively decent brands that I'll look and like, I'm like, okay, they do have a presence on Amazon, 
but it looks like they're just lacking. It looks like they didn't really put a lot of effort into it. It almost yeah. looks like they just threw their products up there and expected just because they're a decent brand that like magically Amazon's going to automatically just change their lives and they're going to get tons of sales on Amazon. Obviously, that's not the case. We know that. But what, what are some reasons that brands, whether they be small or large, fail when it comes to selling on Amazon? Yeah, well, I think over the past few years of running the agency, the, the biggest thing that I see is that a lot of brands have unrealistic expectations of what they're going to get out of Amazon. Like you said, a lot of companies will just go to Amazon, throw their listings up and, you know, imagine that they're going to keep selling and like it, they won't pay attention to the sales channel. If they get a few orders, it's whatever. They don't invest time in the content, in the advertising strategy, the marketing strategy, how to create the brand awareness, how to create the sales funnel within Amazon. They don't focus on that at all. They're just like, all right, like, yeah, the listings are out there. They're going to start selling. That's probably where I have seen most companies fail in the past. Right now, it's different though because companies are more aware that they need to be on Amazon, they need to be online, they need to take it more seriously because of all the changes we previously talked about. And the main issue I see right now is that brands aren't investing, but it's more that they're not investing the right ways. Like they are, their, their advertising is not focused on the, the aspects of growing their brand awareness or growing their sales or you know, growing their market share on Amazon. They're, they're trying to get a, you know, a 10% ACOS so they can, they can make a margin on every sale or like something that's unrealistic that's not actually going to help them grow over time. It's just going to keep them the same. So I think that's where most brands uh, fail to take advantage of the platform the most. It, it's really on getting that visibility and, and getting more people to your page so they can purchase your product or give it a try. So, well, speaking of that, that kind of uh, leads me to my next thing. Let's talk a little bit about SEO. So A9 algorithm, Amazon getting found, right? So I think a lot of times, you know, let's just say like uh, I have my, uh, my little uh, fashion store on main street in my town that I'm in or whatever. Right. And I'm selling my fashion clothing, things like that. And I'm doing okay. But then I decide, okay, you know, Sale, foot traffic is down. People are afraid to go out shopping because of COVID or, or whatever the reason is. Hey, they heard about Amazon. So they put their, maybe their, you know, some of their inventory or their product that they make on Amazon, right? They're thinking, oh yeah, like this is just going to change everything, right? So obviously it's about being found on Amazon. It's all about being optimized for Amazon with, you know, the, the language of Amazon, the SEO and uh, the A9 algorithm, things like that. So how, what tips could you give somebody whether they're just throwing their products up there now or maybe they had their products up there, but they're struggling. Like what tips could you give people to help them get found on Amazon through uh, proper optimization? Yeah, sure. So at this point, SEO alone is not going to get you found on Amazon. You, you do need to invest in the advertising side and we can talk more about that later. Mm -hmm. But there are professional companies out there that are literally finding these opportunities. You have a company like uh, Thrast.io who has a billion dollar valuation based off of just Amazon brands. So they find these niches, they get into the right places, they create the right content, they do the right advertising, all of that. The, the SEO part of Amazon is the foundation to build all of that. So that's where you need to focus on researching and getting the right keywords for your listing and then setting up your listings the right way. So the way that we always focus on the SEO side is identifying, uh, going through our keyword research process, identifying what the highest traffic keywords are, and then identifying what the main keyword is. And then we start from there and start building everything out and trying to get the keywords into the right place. So 
For example, you have a certain number of characters you can use within your title, your bullet points, and your description. The title only limits you to 80. So within your title, you probably want to use your main keyword, whatever keyword has the most traffic, whatever you think is the most relevant for your product. That's usually where we put that. We, we avoid keyword stuffing, so you might have two or three keywords that look great for you, but it would be better to use those keywords through another, in another part of the content on your listing, like the bullet points, for example, or the description. Amazon is gonna take whatever keywords you have within the title, the bullet, uh, the bullet points, the description, the backend search terms, even the subject matter fields, depending on your category, and they're gonna use all that information to index you for different keywords. So. Again, what we do is we focus on using those highest, uh, the most relevant keywords, the most important keyword, your main keyword within the title. Beyond that, we start using the next most important keywords within the bullet points. And then beyond that, we use the, the, the next uh, most important within the product description. And then the rest of the keywords go in the back end. A lot of people think that on the SEO side, you need to include the main keywords on the front end and the back end and the bullet points description, use it as many times as possible. And that's actually not the way that Amazon's designed to work. What you should really focus on doing is when you're putting these keywords into your listing is if it's a, a, a longer, uh, a long tail keyword, if it's a phrase or something, make sure you're using the whole phrase together. That gives you a better chance of being indexed within the platform. And also you don't need to use the same phrase in multiple uh, places within the product listing or within the back end. If you have it anywhere in the front end or the back end, Amazon can index you for it. And Amazon can also index you for uh, non-specific phrases. So let's say you have, um, let's say you have the, the keyword black in somewhere in your listing and you have bag within your title. And they, they're not together, they're not a phrase, but Amazon might actually index you through their A9 algorithm for black bag, just because you have both of those. So when it comes to the SEO, yeah, I mean, really focus on using your keywords in the right places, not duplicating them. Um, and that's probably the best way to get your listing set up and start indexing within the algorithm. Then you need to focus more on the advertising side to actually get the visibility. So I uh, just wanted to highlight here, um, phrases are important to Amazon. I think Amazon does make that uh, language or they do talk about that briefly if you kind of dive through some of their guides that, yeah, they prefer you to use a phrase that makes yep. sense if possible. And they're going to, I don't know, they're going to give you some extra rank for that or whatever. But um, phrases are important if you can use them. But I think, yeah, it's important to not try to overstuff things to overcomplicate yep. things with so many different keywords that it becomes unreadable. So I think that that's really important right there. Um, so yeah, phrases and then, yeah, what you said once is enough. So you don't need to keep, you know, using the same phrases, using the same keywords over and over and over and over again. And then the other thing I would kind of point out too, what I find is kind of handy. If you guys have access to it, if you're brand registered or whatever, they have the, um, in the brand menus, they have the, mm -hmm. um, the keyword optimizer or whatever. They're actually going to show you, Hey, like you, you have all these keywords here for your back end, or let's just say as an example, I think that's what it's for. And they'll show you which ones they're using and not using. And it'll tell you like if why they're not using it. It'll give a description saying it's, it's redundant or it doesn't matter or it's, it's not relevant or whatever it might be. So I would use their keyword optimizer built into their brand menus. I forget exactly how to navigate to it because, you know, it'll, it'll tell you that. And as well, obviously, you want to make sure you're indexing for everything so you can use tools for that. Yep. So I just personally use like Helium 10 as an example yep. and uh, just check the indexing. And, um, I guess what's really important too is Amazon cares a lot and they've, they've done this shift, I think maybe about a, two years ago, they really focus in on relevance for keywords. 
I think in the past, uh, I come from the old school days where those backend fields, what were they like 5,000 keywords you could, or like 5,000 yeah. characters you could cram in there. Yeah. And that obviously led to a poor shopping experience for customers because you could rank for like anything, even though it had nothing to, to re, it wasn't relatable to the product whatsoever. And, uh, Amazon obviously had an issue with that. So they've over the years really fine tuned, you know, what you can kind of rank for and it's gotta be relevant. So I think that's really important. Make sure whatever keywords you're using that it is actually relevant to the product. Yeah. Uh, you don't want to waste keywords that are not relevant. And a lot of times Amazon will determine that for you. Like, Hey, this, this isn't relevant based on what we're seeing with our machine learning or whatever it might be. Um, so I just kind of wanted to add that in there. Make sure you guys are always checking the indexing of those listings because you know, you may think you're being indexed for certain things and sometimes you don't for whatever reason you need to yeah. kind of change some things around and so on and so forth. So any, anything else to add on the SEO front, Mike? No, I think that's, that's, that's mainly the whole aspects of the SEO. Like you said, really avoid keyword stuffing. I know we have a lot of uh, characters that we can include, but that doesn't necessarily mean you need to use them all. I think for the bullet points, we have like 500 characters each, uh, but we typically shoot for around 250 characters with our clients because once you start getting beyond that, it starts looking, uh, the, the product listing page starts looking very crowded and not as great uh, of a shopping experience for the customer once Are you talking it. about like your, the bullet points? Yeah, the bullet points, yeah. Yeah, I'm big on that too. I've always been big on like a kind of maximum impact. I, I, I've never used all the space that they give you, unless yeah. it makes sense, unless you kind of have to. But I think for me, just as a customer, I always try to put the, like my, my customer goggles on when I'm shopping on pages just for buying things that I normally like to buy. My eyes are trained on so many things at this point that – um, I find it off putting to see a lot of text on pages, like especially globs of it in like, um, in a bullet point field where, where it's just like, it looks like globs of paragraphs, like big ones. Yeah. I'm immediately like instinctively just turned off by that. Yeah. And just as a consumer. And I think that that kind of leads me to not be as interested in that product. And I'll just click off and look at something else. Sometimes it's subtle things like that. So I think if you, you have to find a, like a healthy balance of, uh, getting the correct information displayed out there, you know, focusing on your features, benefits, that type of stuff, like your, your lingo, your jargon, whatever it is that you're doing in your, your, your salesmanship there and intertwining like the right blend of the right keywords without overdoing it. Because I think there's a tendency amongst certain sellers just to like cram still, you know, like, yeah. oh, I'm going to rank for everything possible. And it actually might have a negative impact on your yeah. conversion. You might show up for it, but then Amazon, you know, they look at everything. They look at how long somebody's uh, customer views a page. What do they click on? They look at so much different stuff and how they determine with their algorithm, algorithm and your ranking that you may think you're, you're doing a good thing, but you're actually doing it a service because your conversion rates suck because your listing looks physically, it just looks unappealing, you know? Yeah. I think that's kind of like the, the e-commerce equivalent of the pushy used car salesman who's really not going to get you to buy anything because it's so uncomfortable once you look at it. So exactly. yeah, I completely understand that. So let's, let's talk about ad spend. Um, you, you kind of uh, planted the seed for this just a few minutes ago. Uh, you know, I get questions. I see it a lot, like in the Facebook groups where people will put this out there. They'll say, Hey, um, you know, I'm, I've done a really good job optimizing my listing. Looks great. I think, you know, it's converting fairly well. It just maybe came off of a launch or whatever. And they'll say, at what point can I, or should I stop using paid advertising or pay-per-click, you know, for talking about Amazon specifically here. Um, and I, I think, I don't know why people think that, but they, they just want to like 
not spend money on ad paid advertising <laughs> at this point. It's like 2020. Like yeah. that doesn't, in my opinion, blanket statement, like doesn't really work. Like you have to pay to play in my opinion. Exactly. So like, what are your thoughts on that? Like, uh, let's, let's talk about that because again, if you're listening to this and you're like, Oh man, like I got ranked page one. I did this great launch with many chat and it was awesome. Like when can I stop spending money on, on, on paid advertising? Well, my answer is never always yeah. spend money. Um, and if I'm Amazon, I'm thinking, well, <laughs> I want people to spend of these brands to keep spending money on it. Cause that's where they make money. That's, you know, that's how Bezos affords this rocket fuel for his rockets that he's, you know, launching out there. <laughs> they make so much money off pay-per-click is ridiculous. But, um, you like, what are your thoughts on that? Like how should brands look at paid advertising? It, you have to look at it as an investment. That's, that's the only way you can really think about it. And you're right. Amazon does want people to spend more money on the platform. That's why they keep rolling out new types of ad targeting, new types of uh, different ad tools. Like we talked about sponsored brand video, sponsored display, uh, product targeting, uh, DSP, DSP. There's so many different advertising tools out there for people to use. And the whole goal is that Amazon wants you to spend more. They're also creating new ad placements like the video within uh, the product line, sponsored brands show up on product pages. Now there's so much out there. You can't not invest in your advertising because if you're not, that means one of your competitors is going to be stealing that ad space from you. And then, you know, if you had a brand loyal customer, well, now maybe they're going to that customer. All the money you spent to acquire them in the first place doesn't matter anymore because they're gone forever. So not only is it for retaining your current customers, but to acquire, uh, to acquire new customers. And this is really where you need to focus, for me at least, a lot of your advertising dollars. Because we talked about relevancy with SEO. One of the factors that we find the most relevant for, for SEO and for ranking and indexing on Amazon is the uh, conversion rate. When you actually convert well on specific keywords or your product has a very good conversion rate, we find that your products rank much better. So essentially what that's telling us is that if you have a keyword that you convert for more, that's sending a relevancy signal to Amazon each time saying, hey, this product's relevant for whenever a customer searches this, you start moving up higher in the rankings. And sure, you can maybe take the chance and just, and just think that SEO is going to get you there. But the reality is you need to spend money on that keyword. You need to spend money to get that visibility, to get those sales, those conversions. And that's what they talk about uh, with the Amazon flywheel and kind of getting it going. And, and that's really how it starts. The more you spend on something, the higher chance you have of ranking higher for it, the more organic sales you're going to get the more you're going to want to spend on it, the more you're going to rank higher for it, so on and so forth. And that's, that's why you really can't ever stop spending money on Amazon. I, I know it's maybe like a dream for some brands, but if you got to the point where your, your business doesn't really make sense with you spending money, then you, you probably went after the wrong product to begin with and you probably didn't approach it the right way. Yeah, my, I have a couple of t uh, takes I want to add on this. So Amazon to me is all about real estate. If yep. you have a product that uh, let's say converts well or is a good product, you should want to get that product in as many placements or in front of as many eyeballs as humanly possible, assuming with these placements that you aren't hemorrhaging money. Okay. So with all, like I, I'm from the days and you are too, Mike, where for pay-per-click for, for Amazon, I'm from like broad search. Like that was it for keywords. Like you had that. Yeah. And then they came up with phrase and an exact, you know, for, for that. And then it's evolved over the years into something so much greater. And 
you know, Amazon comes up with all these new placement ideas with, you know, how to get your product here or there on this part of the page, obviously, because it makes them a ton of money, right? That's it's yep. huge money makers. I keep saying, but if they give you the option to show up in an area, wherever it is on whatever style of page, whether it's mobile, desktop, top of the page, but whatever it is, if I can do that profitably, I want my product to show up as often as I can. I want to show up on a headline ad at the top of the page. I want to be yep. ranked number one for that keyword. I want the number one placement next to that. I, I want my product to show up everywhere. Yep. Um, I want to saturate the page with my products, my brand, because as from a customer's point of view, if they're looking for a grill brush and they see your listing when they type in grill brush, they see it like three times, yep. you know, four times, whatever. To that customer, they're going, man, Amazon really likes this product. They keep showing it to me or I keep seeing it over and over again it seems, you know, important. I should click on it or whatever. And if you can do that profitably and you can convert well or whatever, um, Amazon's going to show you a lot of love. And I know from me this year, kind of going into this year, I've really, um, really scaled my budgets for, for paid advertising on Amazon specifically. And for certain products I've had uh, that always performed well by me just, and I've always ranked fairly well for a lot of these keywords for certain products, you know, page one, top page one, you know, whatever. Um, I know just from my experiences this year, really getting focused in on targeted pay-per-click and, and kind of just blowing the budgets out of the water. My sales, my velocity has just gone through the, yeah. like through the roof. Now, what percentage is that due to COVID and due to interest or the, the increased traffic on Amazon? Some of it, sure. But yeah, there's got to be a love on Amazon's part going, wow, this, you know, this, you know, this person here is spending a lot of money on pay-per-click. They're converting well. Like we're, the algorithm's going to show you love the way I see it. Yeah. So yeah, your competition's going to be using all of these placements. And if you're not keeping up with the times, keeping up with the velocity, then you stay, still might do well just through normal SEO if you've got a great product. But if you really want to take things to the next level, you should be confident in what your product is. Like if it converts well, get it in front of as many eyeballs as possible and obviously manage that. So if you're hemorrhaging money on like, let's say uh, like a headline ad, like you just never make money on it, just blowing money out of the water, then maybe don't do that. Maybe focus your, your budget or your dollars elsewhere. So we can talk about video ads here in a minute or whatever, but because I, I think that's the next big thing as far as what I'm seeing right now. But, um, you know, if you have that great product, it's all about real estate, guys. And what Amazon allows us to do is, let's say you're selling on amazon.com in the US and say you're having a lot of success with whatever your products are, whatever your brands are. Well, they make it relatively easy for your product to hit all these other markets around the world, whether they be Japan or Europe or whatever. And they make it pretty darn easy. So if you have a product that works well in the US, chances are, if you do the same thing, you can get your products in front of millions of more people around the world. And you just kind of really just have to set up shop and, and ship inventory elsewhere. Yeah. So that's the name of the game. It's, it's real estate on Amazon. And again, uh, if you can do that profitably, like show up everywhere. So even if I'm number one for a keyword, I don't care. Like I want to show up all over that page everywhere. Like yeah. that's, that's kind of my stance on it because I want to stay number one uh, as organically or whatever. So yeah. getting defensive is huge on Amazon. You really need to protect that space once you get it. And then yeah, just keep spending on it to make sure you don't lose it. Yeah. So let's I don't transition a little bit in the video ad since we're kind of talking about this. Um, I, I, video has definitely been the next big thing on Amazon. We've seen it, what, like last year with that live video stuff that they were doing for, for brand owners, mm -hmm. um, you know, where you could kind of set it up. So I don't, Mike, I don't know if any of your brands, you did any of your brands use that live video option where you can kind of do like a little bit of a, almost like a demo of the products. 
we haven't done any live work yet. It's something that is on my, my growing list of, of marketing initiatives to get going for our clients. Um, but I mean, just video in general, the, the, the rollout of sponsored brands and video uh, plus video is going to be huge for a lot of companies. Yeah. And I, I've shared this on the, the last podcast because I wanted to give it some time before I got some data. Um, but I don't necessarily need to double down on it again, but I know Mike, I'm seeing just amazing results with, with video ads in general. Um, and just, I'm, I'm sure you are as well. And I know it's probably not going to be this amazing forever. Cause I think as more people jump into it, you know, costs will go up just like anything. But uh, what are you seeing right now for, for the video ad options out there? Like what's working or like what, like how, how should people kind of approach this? Because I think everybody needs to use it if they have access to the sponsor brands video. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, the reality is that we've been doing a little testing, kind of seeing what works, what doesn't work for us. We've tried longer format videos, shorter format videos, you know, high quality production videos, low quality production videos. And what we found is that typically when we're doing the shorter videos, they're doing better than the longer videos when it comes to an ad. I'm not sure what the reason is, but we're looking at about uh, 10 to 15 second videos are doing really good on the sponsored brand plus video ads. The production quality doesn't actually seem to have that much of an impact, whether it's high quality or low quality. Um, the ACoS and the results we've gotten have been pretty, pretty equal between the two. The high production was a little bit better, and I mean, maybe that's just because they invested a little mo- more money in it. I'm not sure. Um, and then what we're using in our video ads are uh, customer reviews, essentially. So we are showing how the product benefits somebody. And then we're getting a short clip of a customer using the product and saying, you know, how it's benefited them, how it's impacted their lives, how it's made things easier, something like that. And we're seeing a lot of good results from that. Can, I don't know the guidelines off the top of my head, Mike, but cause obviously they have what you can and cannot put in those videos. Yeah. Could you technically then like show customer reviews in the video or is Amazon saying that that's actually the property of the reviewer or Amazon? When it comes to a physical review, I'm not positive, but getting a video review uh, is okay. fine. I, I don't know about using it like an image uh, from a listing. It's it's an interesting idea to try, and it's kind of like uh, like we saw in Facebook ads a while ago. Videos were getting way more impressions than just pictures were, so everybody was just creating a single image video that was running for like one second on a loop, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the ad impressions were working. So maybe something like that would work in the sponsored brand and video space as well. But at the end of the day, they are manually reviewing these and approving them. So yeah. maybe they will catch that. I was just kind of thinking like showing the actual like video of like, you know, the screenshots of the reviews, the five-star reviews, this and that. So you're actually getting testimonial, like actual yeah. people saying, hey, I think that's obviously super powerful because, uh, you know, that just makes it relatable. So that's been working well for you. And you're just going to the customer and saying, hey, could you leave us a testimonial video is that how it's kind of working or you just already have that those videos maybe that you've gotten from those people with the client we've been doing the most testing with we got a few of their like super excited really loyal customers to do some good testimonials for us um and we created some longer format videos as well which are being used for off of amazon advertising but yeah i mean social proof and getting a customer to actually say how the product has benefited them made the li- their lives better is a huge advantage when you're doing advertising. So that's, I, I think that's why we're seeing so much success with that in our video ads. Um, what I would just throw it out there to the listeners, if you're wondering like, well, how do I get a customer to do that? Well, if you're developing any sort of an audience, an email list, a many chat uh, audience, or if you have whatever your brand is, however you're acquiring customers or 
um, potential customers. It's just simply a matter of asking them. So, you know, if you're getting people on your email list, maybe we just want to send out a blast and saying, hey, we're going to do a contest and we want you guys to share a video testimony of how much you love XYZ products, so on and so forth. And, you know, you can use that video in your marketing efforts, maybe your Facebook ads on your website or what have you. And obviously, you know, you can upload it on Amazon now with, you know, the video options and things like that. So it's not that hard to get that once you start acquiring customers. If people love your product, they're going to want to kind of leave that video uh, testimonial for you. Maybe you can do something fun with your audience. Um, just ask them for that. Maybe do a contest who's ever got the coolest video or the best video or whatever it might be. And you can just use that video in so many different you know, avenues. And that it's not even just in the uh, video pay-per-click stuff with sponsored brands. Maybe you do that for like your video upload for the space that Amazon gives you now, you know, on your listings for that kind of stuff. So just kind of throw it out there to, to the audience out there that you should be able to easily acquire these types of testimonials, you know, from your, from your customers. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the way to approach selling online in general is to focus on actually building a brand over time and getting that brand equity. So yeah, really investing in, you know, building email lists, many chat uh, lists, whatever you want to, whatever you want to do is a good way to, to help you sell yourself sell more over time. And uh, Mike, I don't know if you've seen this, maybe you guys have seen it if you're listening. Um, speaking of video, Amazon announced recently the other day that video is now open to everybody, all sellers yep. in terms of uh, getting that video slot on your, on your listing. So I think before uh, it was just, just for brands, uh, brand registered uh, people, but now it's for everybody. So I think at minimum, like uh, for that slot, you know, you could, you could even just use a video slideshow just to get started. You know, if you, if you want to spend some money on some higher production for some video and hire somebody to create some cool video for your products that you want to use or whatever, that's, that's cool. But if you're running on a shoestring budget right now, or you're just looking to get something out there, what I'm finding is what works well for me, Mike, is just literally getting like a video slideshow of some sound that you can create on Canva or something like that, just yeah. to get something out there. Cause it's going to get the attention and interaction and um, using that for uh, you know, different purposes. Uh, you can use your existing images or, or whatever and just put them in a slideshow. Just get something out there and start testing it. Yeah, um, it, it'll exactly. work. And then as you start to see, okay, this is great. Now I actually want to do something a little bit nicer. I want to hire somebody. I want to create some, some better quality uh, video, get those testimonials kind of layered in there. So I just wanted to kind of throw that out there. But uh, I like that idea. The shorter videos, if, if you're seeing that's what's working, about 15 seconds, maybe you guys kind of take that and run with it. So anything else to add on, on video, Mike? No, I mean, it, it's still so new. Uh, there's a lot of, I think, opportunity that's going to be there. And I think it's going to continue to become a more important part of ever, every advertising plan on Amazon. But we're still trying to figure out the best practices, you know, get the best results from it. So I think everyone's kind of still trying to learn more about it. So um, I kind of want to dive into something else here. So speaking, let, let's say um, uh, we're talking about advertising here. Uh, you know, if I'm running on a relatively small budget, and I buy, use a lot of my capital to, to buy up my initial inventory. And, you know, I'm kind of, I launch my product out there and I don't necessarily have a lot of money right off the bat. Maybe that's somebody that's listening to this is in that situation. I think we all were at some point where you're kind of, you know, you're watching where you're spending your money and you're trying to remain profitable or, you know, keep this private label brand going. Um, what are some of the best ways to start marketing somebody's product with like a small advertising budget because obviously we know that you can burn money quickly on Amazon when it comes to to your ad spend like it could just vanish overnight but what are some tips that you can give somebody out there that's kind of really watching their budget yeah. and that you know there's they have a small budget but they want to maximize it 
Yeah. So it, it, you're right. It, it is tough. You can, you can burn through money really quick on advertising with Amazon, especially if you have uh, auto campaigns that are pulling keywords from your uh, product listing. That's not necessarily related. The one example I always use is the word nail. Nail can have one meaning for women. It can have a different meaning for men, but Amazon advertising doesn't care whether your product's relevant for it or not. If it has that keyword in it, you're going to show up for you know, women's nail extensions or whatever if you're selling, selling a nail gun. So that's kind of the problem there. Um, when you're getting started, obviously auto campaigns are important. It helps you do the keyword research. It helps you see what customers are clicking on. Uh, once your product shows up, it shows you what keywords you're most relevant for. Uh, some of the metrics I always look for there, are what are the highest click through rates or what are you getting the most clicks on? So you can see, because at the end of the day, the, the customer is going to tell you whether your product's relevant for a search term or not. And then they're going to signal that to Amazon, whether they actually make the purchase. So that's kind of where we focus on the advertising side. But if you have a small budget, another great way you can kind of start doing advertising and start generating more sales on the platform is through the product targeting ads. And you can focus on competitor products that maybe already have traffic. You know, they're doing their own advertising and getting more people to their listings. But you should look for ones where you have a competitive advantage against them. So maybe your product reviews are better, your price point is slightly lower. Uh, something that kind of distinguishes your product from theirs and, and makes it look like maybe it's a better deal. So, you know, they're get they're paying to get traffic to their page. Now they're on their, uh, now the customer is on their page and they say, well, your product is right below the buy box. So oh, what's this? It's a little cheaper. Let me check it. It's a good way. We call that the, the low hanging fruit. It's a good way to start getting those sales. Um, it's, and, and once you see those sales, you start generating the revenue, maybe you'll get more comfortable with investing in uh, other types of advertising, like try, or trying to rank for particular keywords. Um, you know, that, that, that's going to be a higher A cost investment, but at the end of the day, it's going to start driving more sales down the road, but probably not what you want to start doing when you have a small advertising budget. Gotcha. And yeah, obviously, uh, you know, if you're starting from that small budget, you're going to have to watch what you're spending every single day. You want to see where your money is going and you don't want to just set up a whole bunch of campaigns and then, you know, three weeks later start checking it or whatever. Like it's kind of just a managed thing day by day, seeing what's working, what's not working. And I do like that product targeting, uh, you know, to kind of gain some initial traction because again, yeah, if you, you have a handful of big dogs in that category, it's like they've paid the money yeah. to get to those top placements and they have tons of traffic and you can kind of just piggyback on it a little bit, assuming you can do it affordably. But yeah, what you mentioned, Mike, you got to make sure you have some sort of a competitive advantage, uh, something that your product stands out on and, and, and customers can kind of go, oh, like yours is actually a little bit better, even though you yeah. have a relatively new product. Yeah, they might have a lot more reviews than you and a lot more maturity, but if there's something different about your product that they can clearly see, you can, as you said, just take advantage of the low hanging fruit there. And I think there's for different formats or different uh, targeting, there, there's different ways to target for, for product targeting. I, I think there's a handful of different ones um, out there right now. And then as well, like even category targeting, just trying some of that as well. And I think you can refine that so that you can target like early on, you could target um, other products within that category, but you can, I think, elect to target products that have like zero to three stars or something like that. Uh, you can adjust that um, or you refine that so that way you can kind of go after some products that maybe people are looking at, but they're not ranking that high. They don't have a lot of star reviews. They have like three stars or something like that on average. So if you have a way better product out there, you can kind of target those products that are a little bit lower in quality 
and um, just kind of go about it that way. So yeah. anything else to add on that? No, I, I think you, I think we covered the advertising aspect pretty well. I mean, if you've got a small budget, start with, you know, what the differentiator is for your product starts uh, advertising against competitors. You'll start generating those sales, bringing more money in, and then you just kind of scale from there. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so other things that I kind of want to dive into here, Mike, um, let's actually talk a little bit of like, you know, the other day, Mike, I was driving around and I seen, um, Halloween stores opening up <laughs> and I'm like scratching my head. Cause I seen these, you know, past week or so around here. And I'm like, wait a minute. Like, it doesn't feel like it's that time of year. <laughs> and I'm going, man, like, that's crazy. It feels kind of like the year just started. It's such a weird year with, with COVID. And then it got me thinking, I'm like, man, Q4 is like coming up. Like it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's here. It's right around the corner. And the time pre- you know, to prepare is, is now. And I think that this is going to be one of the most interesting Q4s ever. Yeah. Um, I don't know what to make of it. I, I, you know, because with Amazon, there's so many different uh, weird things happening with inventory and check-in times and uh, ASIN restrictions and things like that with limits on inventory. And on top of that, you know, we haven't had Prime Day yet. Uh, yeah. Like, is Amazon ready for Q4? I don't know. Like, it's such a weird time. Um, I hope it kind of gets sorted out by then. But like, what challenges do you think sellers are going to face this Q4 given our circumstances right now? Because I, I think we need to talk about this. Yeah, I mean, there, this is going to be a really crazy time of the year. So, I mean, to, just to start it off, unofficially, Prime Day is supposed to be in October. So, now we're looking at having Amazon's two major holidays, back-to-back, month-to-month, plus December where everyone's shopping for their Christmas gifts. So, the amount of demand on the platform in Q4 is going to be massive. And one of the big things you pointed to right now is just the inventory side of it. Amazon's restricting the amount of inventory you can send in, how much they'll hold at the warehouse. And for some sellers, the amount of lead time it takes just to be able to replenish that inventory, plus get uh, Amazon to process it and get it into the fulfillment network on time. It's going to cause a lot of headaches for a lot of companies. And they're going to be a lot of brands that lose a lot of sales because of this. So I think one of the best things you can kind of do getting ready for Q4 at this point is just to make sure that you have different inventory fulfillment options available. Uh, If you, by some chance, have Seller Fulfilled Prime on your account, consider having another third-party network that is holding your inventory that you can always uh, be a fallback for you if your FBA inventory gets delayed or something happens there. So, So kind of planning for that now and realizing that What's going to happen if Amazon can't actually handle all the demand that's going to be coming? Uh, I think dealing with the inventory side is the most important aspect. And yeah, I mean, a lot of this is a scary thing as well, because a lot of brands and retailers kind of build their businesses around making their money in Q4. And if these bottlenecks with inventory uh, don't allow them to actually get their inventory on there and get the sales and everything, it could cause a lot of problems for a lot of different companies. Yeah, I I just see it right now where from my side, I'm sure you see it too. Uh, from the seller's point of view, Amazon's struggling right now uh, from their from their inventory's perspective. But from the customer point of view, that angle of things, I mean, for the most part, uh, my customers are saying, hey, you know, when I look at the feedback, they're like, oh, we got this right away. It's amazing. Rarely do I see where it's taking Amazon a long time to deliver something like a prime delivery. I think with their fulfillment, with their Amazon drivers, you know, the network that they have, they're, they're satisfying the customer fairly well. But what, from our angle of things, um, it's, 
in my opinion, based on what I'm seeing, it, it's a mess. It's still yeah. a mess. And I'm kind of looking at this going, okay, where are we in August right now? So <laughs> it's coming up where Amazon's obviously trying to take some precautions with this ASIN restriction limit and stuff like that. But I'm not seeing a whole lot of, uh, a lot of freed up, you know, I, I guess when, when I'm sending things in just like everybody else, it's, it's still a mess. Yeah. And, um, I think what I've been kind of harping on, on the podcast or in the Facebook group, things like that. I think now more than ever, it's, it's going to be almost a requirement that everybody have some sort of a third, third party fulfillment option for their listings, a, you know, set up, not just FBA, but FBM for filled by merchant and you're going to need warehouse space. So I think for these orders from your suppliers, if you're getting, let's say from China, which most people are or whatever, um, you, you, if you have the capital, you, you have to start to get these orders in sooner rather than later, because it's going to take a long time, obviously for them to make things, they're going to have increased demand, but just the logistics of everything is just going to be a nightmare, just getting it to where you want it to go. So in my opinion, um, you know, our, what I would recommend every, everybody should have like a forwarder that you're kind of working with, or a few of them ask them right off the bat, like, Hey, do you have extra warehouse space? that you could help us out with, you know, whether it be in the U S or wherever, if that's what you're selling and just start there. And if they don't, then find another third party option for warehousing at minimum where you should have a huge chunk of your inventory ready to go so that you can kind of drip it in. And then on top of that, uh, look into some of these warehousing options. They might also have, you know, third party fulfillment options for you that they can help you out with, uh, at least know this stuff and probably, I would probably start setting it up and if you are fortunate enough to have a uh, seller fulfilled prime, Hey, great. I think that's going to be a huge advantage. Um, but don't, I guess, rely on Amazon FBA to be perfectly, you know, operating smoothly and things like that for the rest of the year. It's just, I don't know what's going to happen. And the name of the game is, is going to be inventory and, and who's got inventory available and, and ready to sell. And I think those are the people that are going to win and not everybody's going to be able to be afforded that luxury that we were so used to having up until this point. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree. And I think even looking beyond Q4, we have another huge bottleneck coming with Chinese new year right behind it. So we're going to have increased demand from prime day. Then we're going to have the normal demand Well, increased demand from black Friday because more people are shopping online and then all through Q4. So, you know, companies that are burning through inventory, I don't know when they're going to be able to replace all of this before Chinese New Year hits. So we might be looking at two, three months in advance if, you, if you're not placing your inventory orders now for 2021. So yeah, there can be a huge bottleneck there. And then that's not even considering things that are out of our control, like a second wave of uh, COVID-19 that shuts down warehouses in China again. So yeah, as soon as you were saying that, I was just thinking, I'm like, no, please God, no. Like, uh, but you never know. And it's like, yeah. we already seen what happened. And, you know, obviously during Chinese new year, if you guys remember um, this year, that's when in China, when they, you know, they didn't go right back to work after Chinese new year, a lot of, a lot of suppliers and factories didn't make it back for a few weeks beyond that. And that I still think we're feeling the ripple effects of all that stuff uh, yeah. from way back when. So it's like, do we get a double whammy coming in? Who knows? I think we have to be ready for any, everything. So I think capital is really important right now. If you have the capital, place these orders. If you, if you can, don't wait on it. And if you're thinking, well, I don't want to just cram Amazon's warehouse with all this stuff and get gouged with all the FBA fees. So you just, you have to have that extra warehouse space somewhere. Yeah somewhere, anywhere. If that's in your garage, so be it like at minimum. But I think what you can do too, is just ask your supplier, you know, if you're just looking for options, just ask your supplier and say, Hey, if we place some big orders now, 
can you just complete them? And, you know, maybe, uh, can I just keep some of that inventory there for a little while while I figure out what I want to do with it? And a lot of them are going to be cool with that. If you yeah. give them advanced warning. Now, if you spring it on them at the last minute, like when the order's done, like, Hey, can I keep half this here for a while? Uh, they might not have the space for you, but just ask again, ask your, your, your forwarder, ask your supplier, like, Hey, can we store things there for a little bit? best option I think is just to have that inventory available at a third party warehouse with, you know, 3PL uh, fulfillment option, wherever it is that you're selling. So if you're in Amazon US, have that inventory already here, you know, have it in the US so it doesn't have to get shipped and delivered and go through customs and all that stuff. So I don't know about you, man, but I always have bad luck with customs sometimes in my forwarders and things like that. Things getting, you know, extra delays and it's just a headache. So if you can get the inventory kind of staged, ready to drip in, that's what people should be focusing on. And I think that that's, again, going to be, going to be the people who win this Q4 are going to have that, those plans. Yeah, exactly. I mean, thinking ahead and planning for all of this now is going to be so important and managing your cash in your inventory is going to be even more important. If you have cash tied up in inventory, that's just not moving. Just start selling it, put it on sale, lower the price, just get the cash back so you can invest in your top, uh, your core products that are generating the most of your profit and then keep trying to scale those, invest the money there, you know, starting all these other little products that maybe aren't hitting the sales or aren't generating as much revenue as you want. It's really not worth it at this point. So uh, hopefully we kind of covered a lot of ground here for everybody, but uh, Mike, what are you most, it's kind of rounding third here, uh, but what, what are you most excited about with Amazon right now? You've been around the block a little bit with this e-commerce game. I have as well. I've seen a lot and maybe people listening to this have been in way longer than we have. I'm certain of it. But um, like what excites you most? I know there's so much craziness right now with e-commerce. Like it's, it's just such a wild time and I'm so happy to be and grateful to be along for the ride on this. But like what, is, what are you pumped about right now? I think what excites me most is just the uncertainty of everything that's happening right now. I mean, these are a lot of serious obstacles that are coming up. But if you are, you're smart, you're nimble, you have the cash, you have the inventory, there's a lot of opportunity that could be like literally showing up on your doorstep right now. If, if you don't run out of inventory when everybody else runs out of inventory, heck, you might be able to dominate the, the top organic spots on Amazon for years to come if you invest the right way. So, you know, there's a lot of opportunity for established brands, even for sellers that are kind of creating disruptive brands and trying to steal market share from, you know, household name brands. If you can be smart now, be prepared, and have the inventory to sell, there's a good, good opportunity for you to be able to start making money on the Amazon platform for the long term. Now, here's something else to throw out there real quick that I thought of. So if you're riding this wave right now, you've managed your inventory well, you've stayed in stock, you've you know doubled down on your marketing efforts, and let's say you're killing it right now with, with your micro brand or whatever your brand is all about or your products are all about, there's a lot of eyes, and Mike and you and I were talking a little bit about this earlier, but there's a lot of eyes, a lot of investors right now paying close attention to who's doing well on Amazon, what micro brands are out there, you know, three, four, five, six product brands, who's doing well, who's taking that market share up there, who's dominating the real estate on Amazon. And don't be surprised, like if you perform well now or through the rest of the year or whatever, and you ride this huge wave with all this influx of traffic that, yeah, the money might be good for you and you might be making a lot of profit. And I hope you are, but you might have some investors knocking on your door, sending you emails, trying to get a hold of you that want to acquire your products or your brand. And you know, if you can make the right moves right now and ride this wave, again, there's, there's probably going to be people that are reaching out to you that see what you're doing because they're paying attention and 
it'll be nice to have a, you know, a conversation with somebody that wants to offer you a, a nice chunk of change for your efforts right now because they want to acquire your brand because it's part of you know, a, a bigger long-term play that they have to acquire a lot of these brands in the niche that they're in and just kind of go about it that way. So I think the time to focus in on all these things that we're talking about is, is right here, right in front of us that you know, down the road, you could potentially sell your brand for a really good multiple and just make a lot of money with it and keep doing it over and over again. So just kind of want to throw that out there. I don't know if anybody listening has been getting people knocking on their door. I certainly have um, riding this wave right now and, and just, you know, doing, trying to make all the right moves, you know, and things like that. So um, Mike, I want to just kind of, kind of hit one last point here before, before we end this. And this has been awesome. Definitely appreciate your time on all this. Hopefully the listeners got a lot of value, but uh, we were talking before uh, we started on the podcast here about AMZ courses for uh, your business here. And, and I'm really big on education. I'm big on, you know, we took the same, same course when we got started, however many years ago from Stefan Palernos from uh, Project Life Mastery on learning how to sell eBooks and things like that. So I'm, I'm, I'm huge on online education. And we were talking earlier, I wanted to, you just to share a little bit about AMZ courses. Like what, what could you tell us about that? Why is it cool? Yeah, of course, I can give you a little information, but I, I agree. Investing in your own knowledge and your own self-development is the best way to go. And who, who would have known that taking a course on how to sell eBooks would have gotten me to where I am right now. But our whole goal with AMZ courses is just to pass on our knowledge to other people. We are designing courses that are covering different aspects of Amazon, everything from building SEO to advertising strategies, to just managing your account in general and growing it. And we're going to be rolling those out in the next month or so, beginning of September, hopefully. And you know, we want to make them available to everyone. Anyone can learn from our experience, from what we do for our clients, and then start implementing those strategies within their accounts. So Mike, where do people find this information that you just talked about? What, what site, like how, how do they locate AMZ courses? And, and more importantly too, like how do they get in contact with you? If you could just let us know uh, where people can find you and what we're speaking of. Of course. I mean, the best way to reach us is at our website, amzadvisors.com. The AMZ courses website will be get, getting launched soon, but if you're interested in getting on the list, you can always reach out to us there. We can get you set up and we'll give you a discount on your initial uh, course purchase from us. Uh, but yeah, feel free to reach out to us there. Or if anyone has questions, want to reach, reach me directly, you can get me at mike at amzadvisors.com. Awesome. Thank you. And AMZ Advisors, did you guys, was that like URL available or did you guys oh, have to yeah. fight for that? Because <laughs> that's oh, a pretty yeah, good yeah. one. Yeah, we, we, we timed it perfectly. That, that, I remember looking one day when this, like we had the epiphany about it and I was like, holy crap, AMZ Advisors is available. I was like, all right, I'm buying it. Yeah, it almost seems it like you'd have to fight somebody for that one. So good for you for finding yeah. that. That's, that's really good. Everything AMZ's taken, you know, like that's crazy. I just remember how hard it was to like decide on one of a brand name one time because it feels like everybody just buys URL names for fun just to hold them and sell them <laughs> later. But man, so that's, that's cool. So, all right, well, we'll check that out. I'll definitely put that in the show notes for everybody. Uh, you guys know the drill on that. So uh, you can check that out. Make sure you get in contact with Mike on uh, any questions that you guys have for his agency, how he can help you and your brand and your business, take things to the next level. I mean, we're in such an exciting time right now, Mike. Like I, I know I'm just, I'm just grateful, man. I'm really grateful that, you know, we were talking, I used to work for Sears. I used to work for a big box retailer. It's like, you know, all, all from, you know, kind of just having a, an idea to take a course on eBooks, which I knew nothing about. I knew <laughs> zero about this whole world. And it's, it's kind of weird how everything just comes around and here I am talking to you and, you know, we kind of have a, a similar background in, in those types of things and how we got started. So 
I, Mike, I really appreciate your time. Um, any last parting words of wisdom that you could offer the listeners out there before we get on with our wonderful days? I, I really think we covered a lot today. And, you know, I just wanted to say thank you as well, Nick. It was great uh, speaking with you and, you know, learning from your background as well. It was so interesting hearing the story around Stefan and Project Life Mastery. And you're right. Once you start working in a direction, you, you might not know exactly where you're going to get to, but once you start taking those steps, learning more, trying new things, you know, you're never going to regret where you end up. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Mike. And I greatly appreciated your time. I know the listeners did. This has been, a, this has been amazing. And um, we will talk to you later. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mike. I truly enjoyed that conversation and I'm grateful that we had a chance to get together and talk some shop. I love talking e-commerce and Amazon, obviously, and I hope you guys all enjoyed it as well and you took a few key takeaways, a few nuggets away from the conversation that as soon as this podcast is over, you can start implementing for positive impact. So what I want to do now, guys, as we wrap up this podcast is just share a couple of key takeaways that I had with you guys and uh, you can run with it and maybe compare notes to see what you had. So number one, guys, we talked about video and specifically Amazon-sponsored brands video. It's been working really well for me, getting a lot of great results. I know in talking to others, it's just been tremendous. So Mike actually suggested uh, that shorter videos are doing better than longer videos. And it kind of makes sense because as people are browsing Amazon or what have you, there's a lot of distractions there, a lot of different things they can click on. So shorter videos seem to be doing better according to Mike. So you may want to consider uh, throwing about 15 second videos out there roughly when you're using Amazon sponsor brands video. And then on top of that, we kind of also talked about as a side note here, if you can ever get customer testimonials on video uh, for your products, if you're developing some sort of an email list or an audience somehow, Ask them for testimonials. See if they'll record themselves talking about your product, how much they like it, things like that. And uh, that stuff can be repurposed, not just for Amazon purposes, but you could also use that on Facebook or other marketing efforts that, uh, that you're using. So it's very, very powerful. So moving on to takeaway number two, everybody, number two. So I asked Mike, what would somebody do or should somebody do uh, if you kind of spent most of your initial capital on the product itself and shipping and transportation costs. And maybe you don't have a whole lot of money left over for marketing efforts, for pay-per-click, things like that. And you're kind of looking for a good bang for your buck. Mike suggested that you focus in on the product targeting options for pay-per-click. So wherever there's product targeting options for however you're setting up your campaigns, where it's available, that you focus in on that and you can selectively target certain ASINs that you're competing against and have your product show up on their page there. So just make sure that your product is different or better in some way, shape, or form, and uh, you can kind of really target those other products out there. You, know, you might be able to target a product that is mature, that's got a ton of reviews, and but your product is better, it's new, it's got, you know, it's more updated or what have you, and even though they're ranked super high organically, they're getting tons of eyeballs, tons of visitors every day, um, you can have your new product show up on their page and kind of take advantage of the traffic that they are getting on a day-to-day -day basis. And again, if your product is somehow better, it's the, the, the better product out there right now because it's updated or whatever, uh, you can really start to gain some traction um, 
and uh, it could be a very good bang for your buck. So look at the product targeting options for pay-per-click. And I know just like you guys, there's so many options for pay-per-click right now that it's a little overwhelming and you may have overlooked this and you may not be using it. So product targeting as well as category targeting could be very effective for you um, early on. And finally, guys, takeaway number three, everybody, probably the most important. So we talked about Q4 preparation and it is the middle of August right now. So depending upon when you're actually listening to this podcast, uh, you, if, you know, if you're listening right now here in August, you're going to want to make sure you get a plan together for Q4 when it comes to your inventory. The people that have inventory throughout this entire season and it's fluid and it's always in stock and shipping out, those are the people that are going to win flat out. There's going to be more traffic than ever than ever on Amazon in the next coming months. And it is gonna be insane. So again, whoever can maintain stock is going to win. So get those orders in now and have plans for storage outside of Amazon FBA. So look into third-party warehousing and fulfillment options. Also again, look into fulfilled by merchant options. Again, the key is to make sure that you can drip in inventory to FBA as needed. And uh, also looking again to those FBM options and partner up with a 3PL to kind of help you out with that. Because again, it's all about inventory. It's all about just kind of dealing with the variables right now with logistics and shipping. And if you can figure that out and always maintain stock levels, again, it's going to be a great Q4 for you. And I'm rooting for you there. So those are the three takeaways that I had that I wanted to pass on with you guys. And again, make sure you guys check out Mike, ask him any questions that you have. Mike at AMZ Advisors. If you have more questions, things you want to follow up on, and uh, his contact info is going to be listed at privatelabelershow.com forward slash 153. So that's pretty much going to do it for today's episode, everybody. Again, I thank you for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Also, leave a review on iTunes if you have not yet done so. And make sure you get joined up in our Facebook group. We would love to have you. If you are on Facebook right now, you can go into the search bar and type in Amazon FBA and then filter by groups. And the group name is actually Amazon FBA. So click to get joined up and we'll get you approved in no time. That way you can start communicating with the rest of the community. So appreciate you guys. Have a great rest of the day. Go out there, make it happen. And uh, we'll talk soon. Bye. This episode of The Private Labeler Show has ended. Please show your support for the podcast by subscribing for more business strategies and tactics to help you build your empire. Also, make sure to leave us a review on iTunes. See you in the next episode.